As you can hear, uh, we've been fighting a cold a little bit in my house, so it's, it's the Christmas season. It's also cold and flu season. Um, so we'll see how this goes here, but fortunately, uh, we've got some good technology here. Our, our sound guys are on the ball, so hopefully you can all hear me okay at least. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be continuing our time in Luke chapter 2. Uh, so I think most of you, I assume, were probably here Friday. You got to hear the beginning of Luke 2 from Pastor Tom. It was a great introduction just to what we're celebrating this Christmas season. Uh, a little background, just kind of backing up for a moment. So the book of Luke, uh, as the title implies, was written by Luke. Uh, it's unique amongst the Gospels in that, as Pastor Sean mentioned a few weeks or last week, it was uh, written in chronological order, which really works a lot better for the way most of us think here in this western part of the world. Um, so it's great that way. Uh, the book of Luke, as he wrote in the introduction, was written by careful research and firsthand um, accounts recounting the life of Jesus. So Luke, uh, most people assume, was working hand-in-hand hand with the Apostle Paul, recording this telling of the gospel, that he was going around Israel and visiting in person with people who had been involved in the life of Jesus. And that makes this account all the more special, that we get to hear Luke's recording of the memories of Mary, of uh, her giving birth to Jesus. We get to hear just all the different historical aspects that he ties in, that Luke was careful to research all the different events happening in the world and to tie them in with the timeline of the coming of Jesus. And so Luke is special, obviously for all those reasons, but also because it gives us an account of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the most important thing, obviously, we can see here. And so... Luke chapter 2, uh, the first part, as we covered Friday, uh, goes over the birth of Christ, uh, the foretelling of that, and just the events surrounding that. And so since Luke is laid out in chronological order, the next section, the second half of Luke chapter 2, which we're going to cover today, is really all about Jesus' childhood. And so as we go into this, we ask ourselves, what did Luke, as he was telling this, recording this account of Jesus, of the life of Jesus, what did Luke find important for us to know and understand about Jesus' childhood? And so that's really what we're looking for as we dive into this passage, is what is it we need to know about Jesus' childhood? Uh, this is the only gospel that really goes very in-depth at all about the time between Jesus' birth and the beginning of his ministry, and there's not a whole lot here. Uh, that we, we realize that there wasn't a lot of information recorded about Jesus' childhood. Obviously, the main focus was on his ministry, but there are a few things we can learn about as we go through this passage. And so our focus point this morning, kind of the, the main point, I think the point that Luke wanted us to get from this is that even in his childhood, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law and prophecies, proving that he was the perfect sacrifice necessary to redeem mankind. And so that's what we want to take away from this, that even in Jesus' childhood, even when he was a young boy, that we can see the hand of God upon him. We can see that he was that perfect sacrifice, that he lived a very unique life, which was necessary in order for him to fulfill that role as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and to go on to become 
the intermediary between us and God the Father to make us right with God. So we're going to pick up this morning in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we're going to pause right there. We'll get a little bit more into Simeon in a few moments. But we see a few points about Jesus as we read through this passage. So verse 21, it talks about the end of eight days that he was brought in to be circumcised. And that's when they officially gave him the name. Um, And so this was part of their tradition that they followed as commanded in the Old Testament law that male boys after eight days after they'd been born, that they were to bring them in, circumcise them, and kind of give them that official christening, that official name. And so all these things happened as had been foretold by the angel, that before Jesus' conception, that it was known that this would be his name, that this would happen, that this is who he was going to be. So Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies from the very beginning, very early on in his life that he was already fulfilling prophecies as foretold, that he was going to be someone unique and special. It talks about after that, their time for purification, uh, that they were to take some time after the birth of a child um, when the mother would have been ceremonially unclean. And then after that, they would go back to the temple. And so they brought him up, it says in verse 22, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they've got this new baby, they bring him in, Again, they're following the ordinances, the commands given in the law, that they're fulfilling these requirements. They're following what it is that was supposed to be done by every male child in Israel, that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And we see that as we continue to read through this, that Jesus, he didn't submit himself to the commands of man, to the different things that were added on top of the law, but Jesus did perfectly fulfill the Old Testament law that um, we've been reading through on our Wednesday night service. Uh, We're in Deuteronomy right now. We're just starting to wrap up our study of the books of the law in the Old Testament. And we see there's so many different requirements that we're given. And as we study through the law, we see a lot of God's absolute holiness and his character revealed in that. But we also see our need for God revealed there. Uh, That the law was given, we learn in other passages, to reveal to us our need for redemption, our need for God, that no one could fulfill the law perfectly. And that's why someone had to do it for us. And so we see that with Jesus, that from the very beginning, Jesus was perfectly fulfilling the law, that he was living that perfect life of obedience that no man was capable of. And so Jesus is brought to the temple and presented before the Lord. In verse 24, we see that his parents were supposed to bring a sacrifice as well for that. Um, That as part of that routine, they were to bring in a sacrifice. 
It says that they brought in, according to the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so if we don't understand what the Old Testament commands were, we might kind of read over that without noticing anything. Uh, But the primary sacrifice people were commanded in the Old Testament law to bring for most situations, even for this one, was to bring a lamb as a sacrifice, that that was what they were supposed to do. But then after that, they give the concession, if you can't afford to bring a lamb, then you can bring these two birds, that that would be an acceptable substitute for those who are not well off enough to afford a lamb. And so we see Jesus perfectly fulfilling prophecy, perfectly fulfilling the law, but also that he was no one special as a man, that his family was not well off. They couldn't even afford kind of this base level sacrifice. They had to go down a notch to the one that was acceptable for those without resources. And so we see Jesus living this perfect life, but also understanding what it was like to not have a lot, to not be wealthy, to not be respected or even accepted in many cases. That Jesus lived a life that many would have thought as a human would be unremarkable. That we see that prophesied in Isaiah, that he he wouldn't be someone who would be particularly good-looking or particularly attractive, that he wasn't someone that men looked at and just instantly thought that this was a great man, that he understood what it was like to live outside of notoriety as a human. And so in verse 25, we see someone, however, who recognizes Jesus as who he is, that he was someone special, not because of who he was as a man, but because of who he was as the Son of God. So verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So there's a few things for us to realize about Simeon. He's introduced here as someone. We don't get a lot of background on him. Uh, We see that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus into the temple and that he is there living in Jerusalem. It says in verse 25 that he was righteous and devout, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And so Simeon lived his life seeking God that he was following God's laws, he was walking in obedience to God, and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, for God to send the Messiah to come in, to save Israel, to make them right before God, to bring them back to the right standing and glory that God had meant for the nation when he first had, had called them to himself. And so this is Simeon's focus in life, that he is really seeking the coming of the Lord, that he's waiting for that, he's looking for that. And because of that, because he was following God and seeking God, we see 
God used him in a special way here. It says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so God chose to use Simeon in this case to tell of great things, to tell a little bit of the world, who this man Jesus really was, who he would become, what the significance of his arrival was. And it says in verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, that God had promised to this righteous, devout man who was seeking him, who was waiting for his coming, that he would get to see that, that his life would not end until he had with his own eyes seen the Messiah, that he would see God himself come to earth. And so this moment arrives that Simeon is in the temple waiting for this again, and he sees Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And the Spirit reveals to him that this is the one, that this is the time, this is the moment he had been waiting for, he had been looking for, that he had been living for. And so the Spirit leads him to the temple, and he has the opportunity to take Jesus up, and his response is to praise God. And it says in verse 28 that he took him up in his arms. He blessed God. And then he goes into this kind of almost hymn of praise or prophecy, talking about what it is Jesus would do, who he would become, what the significance of this is. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word that this was what he had been waiting for. And now that this had been fulfilled, he was ready to go home. We don't know how soon that happened, how old he actually was, but he had seen what God had promised him and that was enough, that he had seen God work and he was happy with that, that he was satisfied. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so he really tells the world, tells these people who Jesus is, that he has seen God's salvation, that this little baby he was holding in his arms would be the one who would make mankind right with God again. That we see the entire scriptures building up to this one point, that from the very beginning, the entry of sin and death into the world in Genesis 3, that God made a promise that one of Eve's offspring would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent and restore mankind to right relationship with God again. And this is that one. This is the moment. This is the time that God had orchestrated for that to happen. And Simeon realizes this, that he has seen the salvation of mankind that God has prepared before all people. And he talks about in verse 32 that this would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And this is what Israel was supposed to be, that the nation of Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles and God was to glorify them that they might bring glory to him. And we see this goal as we read through the Old Testament, that God intended for the nation of Israel to live in righteous, holy relationship with him in order that the world would see that relationship and be drawn to God. Obviously, Israel fell short of that in many ways. Um, but Jesus here is the one who would finally bring that full circle, who would make the people of Israel able 
to walk in obedience to the Lord and would bring that light and hope of relationship with God to the rest of the world, not just to the nation of Israel. Now, this is such a big deal that this really is the pinnacle of human history that he's witnessing here, that all of scriptures build up to this, uh, up to this point. And the scriptures that follow that are basically just expounding on the importance of this, that this is what the world had been waiting for. In verse 33, it gives Mary and Joseph's response to this. It says, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Uh, certainly they knew some things that uh, had been revealed to them by the Lord about Jesus. But I think just seeing this firsthand really would have been amazing, realizing that this child that you have been entrusted with is the Savior of the world. Um, that This child that you're carrying, that you're feeding, that you're changing diapers for, and being with will one day be the man who will make people right with God again. So they marvel at this. Simeon continues on in verse 34. It says, He blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon continues to prophesy in this section as he's speaking with Mary and Joseph. Um, this child, it says in verse 34, is appointed for the fall and rising of many. That the arrival of Jesus was good news. Now, this was the greatest news the world had ever known. But this would be difficult for people to accept. We see that over and over again as we read through the Gospels. That Jesus was the truth. He was the hope but he was also a stumbling block for many. Um, that having to see what God required of his people would be difficult for many. Um, that following Jesus required sacrifice and that following Jesus would not always be easy. And that's kind of what his words for Mary are in this point as well. He tells her, the sword will pierce through your own soul also. Um, so he's reminding Mary that she has been chosen by God for a very special role in life, that she gets to carry his son, give birth to him, raise him, see him come to adulthood. But she's also going to be a mother who will see her son be rejected by the world, who will see him suffer and die at the hands of those he came to save. We imagine how painful that must have been for her to see the son that she had cared for and loved be crucified by the very people that he came to rescue. And that reminds us that following Jesus is not always easy. That God had called Mary to this position. That she had a great privilege to take part in Jesus' life in this way. But that there would be pain associated with that. And that she would suffer in many ways because of that. And we see God's hand through that. We see God's sovereignty through that. But following Jesus is not promised to be easy. At the end of verse 35, Simeon says that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And that's so much of what Jesus came to do as well. And he came to redeem mankind. Um, but he also came to show 
the truth, to reveal the truth. And oftentimes when we see the truth, we realize what's inside of us is not truth. We think about just the power of God's word. Uh, Hebrews tells us to reveal thoughts, to reveal the intentions of the heart. And Jesus Christ, the living word, the revelation of God, has the same effect on mankind, to reveal what's in our hearts, whether or not it is truth, to show us the ways we're following God and the ways that we're not in line with God's intentions and his desires. So it's part of the reason that Jesus was so conflicting for people, that Jesus brought the truth, that Jesus revealed people's hearts. And those who were willing to repent and seek after him, that was hope and that was blessing. But for those who were unwilling, that was judgment and that was condemnation and that was hardship. And we see John chapter 3 tell us that people loved the light rather than the darkness because their deeds were evil. And that's a lot of why Jesus was rejected so harshly by so many, because he revealed the evil within their hearts, their love for the darkness. And so that's why they sought to persecute and kill him. So from the very beginning, Jesus is salvation, we see. Jesus brings light to the world. Jesus brings hardship at times to those following him. And Jesus reveals the hearts of mankind. And so we'll see another person come in here and speak of Jesus, of the importance of his coming, to herald the arrival of the Messiah. Verse 36 tells us about this person. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so we see this other person in the temple, Anna. It says she was a prophetess. Uh, There's a few instances of scripture of these female prophets God uses to speak his word. Um, This is a special privilege he has given to reveal things to her, to share with those around her says that she was advanced in years, that she had had a husband, uh, says for a brief seven years, and then as a widow, she lived until she was 84. So Anna had spent a lot of time on her own, widowed, waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Um, I imagine that her life was probably similar to that of Simeon, that she was following God, that she was seeking God, that she was waiting for God to work. And she had been waiting for a long time, that she had been living on her own for this extended period of time. It says that she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, that that was her focus in life, was seeking the Lord, worshiping the Lord, fasting before the Lord. And that as she spent this time in the temple, that she was following after God. And she also sees Mary and Joseph and Jesus, that God reveals to her the significance of who this is, 
and who he would become. And so in verse 38, it says that she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so Anna sees the Lord. She had spent so much of her life seeking God, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, seeking the Lord's action and his redemption. And her response is to praise God, that she sees Jesus, she sees the Savior. And what does she do? She tells everyone else about it. That this is the Messiah, and this is the one God had sent. That God should be praised for this. That God was good. That God was worthy of worship and adoration because of this. And so she speaks of this to all who would listen. I think that's a great example for us, that we see the Lord work. We see his faithfulness. We see his love. And how should we respond? How could we respond but in worship, in adoration, in thanksgiving to the Lord for his faithfulness, for his love, for sending his son to be with us? And so we see these two prophets speak of Jesus, prophesy about who he was, who he would become, and what the significance of his coming was. And then we see Jesus go back and return to a life really in obscurity um, for, for most of his childhood. Uh, there's not a lot, again, written about this. Um, so in verse 39, we'll pick up again. It says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. And so after this happened, Jesus goes back to Nazareth and then continue living life. And it says in verse 40 that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, that the favor of God was upon him. And so Jesus went about life in many ways, as a normal child would, that he grew. He grew up and became strong. Um, that he was filled with wisdom, obviously more so than an average person would have been. But you could see the favor of God upon him. That he was living life, for the most part, as an ordinary person. But they could see the special favor of God upon him. They could see the Spirit of God working in him. They could see that God was preparing something different for this boy as he grew. And we're reminded as we read through this that Jesus, as we were before, was salvation, that Jesus brought truth, that Jesus should be praised, but also that Jesus was human, that Jesus was a man, that Jesus lived life as a man. I think that's a lot of what Luke wants us to understand here, uh, that Jesus was unique, that he was the perfect sacrifice because he was fully human and fully God. That he was the only one who could experience the temptations and the suffering and the hardship of life on earth as man. But to go through it perfectly without sin, without straying from the commands and the laws God had given so that he could be that perfect sacrifice that mankind needed that Jesus is the only one who could fill this requirement because of his unique role as fully God and fully man. Verse 41, um, 
starts kind of the final story we see about Jesus' childhood. Verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So we see this story. Uh, most of us are probably familiar with this. Uh, it's a popular one in Sunday school lessons and different things like that. But we see Jesus' family, when he was a child, making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. This was something that was very common amongst the Jewish people. There were certain feasts that they were to go to Jerusalem to celebrate every year. And in this situation, there was probably a pretty large group of people going into Jerusalem. The Passover was one of the primary feasts the Jews celebrated. And so we see them traveling, probably with friends and relatives and neighbors and everyone else just in this large caravan going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Um, it's interesting to think about this particular feast too, that it is the Passover. Um, that we're talking about the coming of Jesus the Messiah, the perfect spotless lamb that would be the sacrifice for our sins. Uh, the Passover was commemorating right before the Exodus when the Jews were in Egypt that God sent the angel of death to kill all the firstborn in Egypt. But the Jews would be spared this punishment if they killed a lamb and spread its blood on the doorposts over their house, that the angel of death would see the blood of the lamb and pass over their house and spare the death of the firstborn. And such a great picture we see in the Old Testament foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, the work that Jesus would do. That like that lamb, the blood of Jesus would turn away the wrath of God and spare us from death. And so they're going in to celebrate this important festival, looking forward to the work that Jesus would do one day. And so they go in, they celebrate the Passover, and then they start their return trip home. And at some point, as they're walking along you know, with this large group of people, probably assuming that Jesus was um, with relatives or friends somewhere in the group, they realize when they stop for the night that he's not there, that he's missing. And so they've already journeyed a day away from Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph realize he's not there. They have to journey a day back to Jerusalem and then wander around Jerusalem looking for him. And it says that when they found him in verse 46, that he was sitting in the temple among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And I think 
if we've spent any significant time around kids, we've probably had a moment kind of like this. Um, their insight can be surprising at times, you know, especially you guys who have taught Sunday school. They really know more than we give them credit for a lot of the time. Um, but Jesus here is going above and beyond that, that he's not just your normal kid who's read the Bible, um, that he's sitting with the teachers in the temple, the center point of religious Judaism, and they're amazed at the questions and answers that he has for them. They're amazed at his knowledge of the law and of the word of God. And so we see in here that Jesus, again, was human, but he was special, that God's spirit was working through him in a unique way, preparing him for this special role he was to fill. We also see God's spirit working through him. We see that Jesus knew the Bible, that Jesus knew God's word. And in the laying aside of his divine attributes, when he came to dwell as a man on the earth, Jesus, I'm sure, had to spend time learning God's word, that he had to study God's word. He had to understand and know it. And we see Jesus use this knowledge of God's word. I think one of the great illustrations of this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's tempted by Satan. And his responses each time are quotations from the Old Testament that Jesus knew God's word. He knew how it applied to everyday life and he knew where to fit it in. Um, and if Jesus spent this time learning God's word, knowing God's word, understanding God's word as a young boy, how much more important is that for us? That God's word is sufficient for all things, that God's word is powerful for all things, that God's word is valuable in all things. And so we should follow the example of Christ in this, that we want to know God's word, we want to understand God's word, and we want to be able to rightly apply God's word to the different situations we face in life. He continues on um, in verse 48, his parents saw him and were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Jesus said to them in verse 48, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And so we see Mary and Joseph, like any normal parents, come up to him and they're probably a little frustrated. They've been worried for a couple days now, wondering what happened to their son. Mary's response to him, why would you do this to me? Don't you know your father and I have been looking for you? Uh, that gives us a little hint that Joseph you know, was functioning as Jesus' earthly father in this time. Um, and Jesus' response to this is so interesting. He says, why were you looking for me? How did you not know I would be here? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Uh, that Jesus understood that there was something special about his role in life and that he had that special relationship with the father. That Mary refers to Joseph as his father, which you know, he was in many ways, but Jesus' response to her is to say, no, I was with my father. I had to be with my father, the father. Again, reminding us that Jesus was not just a man that Jesus was truly God. 
In verse 50, it says that they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And so we see Jesus at this point in time probably understanding things that his parents did not fully comprehend. That he knew he had that special relationship with God. And obviously they had to understand some of that. But just in day-to-day life, what that looked like, why he was doing this, at times would elude them. But we see that in spite of this, that Jesus went with them, he followed them. It says that he went back home to Nazareth and he was submissive to them. And this is something we don't think about so often with Jesus, that he was submissive to the people God had placed in his life over him, that he was God incarnate walking on the earth. But at this point in time, he was under the authority of his parents. And because of that, he walked in submission to them. I think that's an interesting point for us to consider, um, that as we go through life, submission is not something that comes very naturally to us, especially within our independent American culture, that we do not like that concept of submission, that we want to be independent, we want to be in the driver's seat, we want to call the shots. And there's times for that, but there are also often times for us to be submissive, to consider one another more important than ourselves. Ephesians chapter four talks about submission for Christians, that we're to submit to one another, that wives are to submit to husbands, husbands to wives. Um, That submission out of consideration for the good of others and for the authority God has placed before us is something that should come naturally to followers of Christ. If Jesus was submissive, to his earthly parents. How much more should we submit to those God has placed over us? And then verse 52 gives us this last little picture of Jesus' youth. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. That Jesus grew like a normal man, like a normal boy, that he learned things, that there were areas that he grew in. Obviously, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was very unique in that way. But Jesus was still a man, that he was still growing in his understandings of things, growing physically and growing as he sought the Lord. And so as we read through this, we think about what that means, what all of this means for us that Jesus is salvation, that Jesus fulfilled the law, that Jesus is light, that Jesus brings difficulty, that Jesus reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Following Jesus is not easy. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that combination of God and man in one that could be the only one to live a perfect life and to bear the sins of all humanity before God. And so really, we see, I think, the responses of Simeon and of Anna are so revealing for us here that Jesus was unique, Jesus was special, and Jesus demands a response from us that Jesus has to be paid attention to. We see why he's been one of the most controversial figures in all of history, why people love Jesus and people hate Jesus 
people see Jesus as their savior or they see him as bringing condemnation based on their response to him. Acts 4.12 tells us that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's really the message here this morning, is that Jesus was unique. There's never been another like him. That Jesus is the only one who could bring salvation, and Jesus is the only route to salvation. And so for those of us that know him, we can be grateful this morning for that, that we can go to him in praise and in worship, like Simeon and Anna, knowing that he is unique, that he is powerful, and that we can praise God for his goodness in sending Jesus. And if you haven't come to know Jesus, that's the most important thing, the most important person you will ever know, that Jesus demands a response. And so if that's something that you still need to do, come talk to myself, one of the elders after the service. We'd be happy to talk about that with you. Uh, Because this Christmas season, we remember that Jesus came, but we have to remember why Jesus came, that Jesus came to die, to make a way for us to be with God. Let's go to him in prayer.